Good evening, church. It is great to see you all. Uh, thank you all for being here tonight. And uh, we are closing out our, our long series, right? Jesus, be like Jesus. and um, Falling in love with Jesus. And it's really been exciting and encouraging to me. And hopefully it helped in some way uh, with you. We'll pick up more, of, uh, study something like this later on. But anyway, uh, let's go together to God in prayer, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day, for blessing us to be able to assemble together as family, to, to worship, to, to study on Wednesdays, uh, to just to be here, Lord God, to discuss matters of life and just, just to have a true family. Thank you for your genius and for the blessings you bring to us. Help us to remember to continue to pray for each other and strengthen one another and use, Lord God, our words that you've given to us our words to encourage one another. Thank you for your love and for Jesus, your great son, whom you so willingly sent to die on that cruel cross of Calvary. We pray, Lord God, that you'll bless our minds tonight to be open to your word, that we might grow and, uh, and continue to do your will. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee to be thy will. Amen. All right. Um, Jesus, knowing that there was an amazing, an amazing task in front of the apostles and the disciples. They had, we're going to John 14. They had an amazing task in front of them because Rome was real, right? And um, they, were, they were going to struggle and they were going to suffer. And he knew that. And Jesus uh, was so encouraging and so kind uh, that he, he helped them to continue in their walk of faith. And it's beautiful to, to, to watch Jesus and to know how he knows when to encourage um, and, and when, you know, what, what type of, of, of attitude was he dis, to display in certain situations in life. He knew what they needed, right? He knows what we need. So we're going to John 14 and verse 27. To encourage them, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. If you notice in John 14, uh, John, so John 13, remember where Simon in verse 36 and following uh, has um, declared that he would give his life for Jesus and, and Jesus told him, you're going to betray me. And, and, then, and then you go into chapter 14, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You know, even though you're going to deny me, you know, everyone's going to desert me. You're going to leave me. and You're going to feel horrible inside. Don't let your heart be troubled. So he told him that in chapter 14, verse 1. And then in verse 27, he says it again. He says, let not your heart be troubled. He wanted to encourage them and strengthen them because they were about to go through something that they had never been through in their lives. Right? John chapter 11. How encouraging it is, knowing what they were about to experience and witness with their own eyes, how encouraging would it be for you to, to try to think in your mind and understand what it means to be resurrected, right? to know that this life is not it, to know that in the face of, of all the persecution and the executions 
that they witnessed and they themselves being executed to, to know in your mind that like Lazarus rose from the dead, it's not over, right? And they needed that. And so in John 11, as Jesus was teaching, in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so this, you know, this, this thought, this understanding of Rome is, is a terrible people, if you will. Um, but God is great. And to remind ourselves continually that this is not it. This is not everything. This is just the beginning for us, right? And to encourage us to say, keep fighting the good fight of faith, Jesus continually comforted them and encouraged them and lifted them up. And just imagine, here's God saying, you're going to be all right. And that's what he was telling them all through the Gospels. He was telling them and reminding them everything is going to be okay. John chapter 16. It's going to be okay. And and I don't know about you, church, but but it's good to know uh, from the Father and from Jesus that everything's going to be okay. As bad as things are and as bad as things can get, everything is going to be okay. John chapter 16 and verse 26. And that day you will ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will request the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you. And I love what he says. Because you love me. You see how special we are? You know, for God so... Take the the, the generic scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. But we're Christians. We're on a different level. Okay, when it comes to God. And, and it makes perfect sense. You think about a, a father and a mother and their children and then someone that loves your children like you love your children. That's a different kind of relationship, right? right? So, so here Jesus is saying in verse 27, For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. <laughs> Special. He's not talking to the Romans. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the disciples, to Christians, right? In the future, the idea of the world, the word Christians carrying over to us. That's why God loves us in a special and unique way. In fact, when you go and look at the book of Peter, you'll find that Peter says it over and over again that we are a precious people to God. We are. Pre- he uses the word precious, 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 precious. You are precious. It's a beautiful study. First and second Peter. Well, here, Jesus again, he puts us into a different category. The Father loves you because you have loved me. And I believe that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I'm leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have need for anyone or no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the 
Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have... Wait a minute. We're going to desert you, Lord, and you're still telling us that that we're going to have peace? Yeah, you're going to find that peace, right? You're going to have that peace in me because I'm going to give it to you. The Father's going to give it to you. You're going to mess up in life. But I'm going to give you peace because you have a special, unique relationship with God that no one else has. That's what we have, Christians. This amazing, special relationship with the Father that no one else has. We have the Holy Spirit. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. Only you, only God's people, only Christians. So Jesus goes on to say, you will have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Now, this is important because as you're reading this, recognizing what Jesus has been telling them, he's been telling them over and over again, the Son of Man is about to be crucified, and you're going to leave me. You're going to desert me, but don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. I understand, right? What a, what a comforting uh, a group of scriptures to read and to understand and what Jesus is saying to us, saying to his disciples in their, in their deepest hour, if you will, everything's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Jesus was so encouraging. He had this amazing relationship. Um, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 10. This, this amazing relationship that he shared with the Father you know, he, he never, never questioned the Father's will. And he left us this, this positive example of everything's going to be okay. I mean, he told us, and then he showed us. <laughs> he, he told us, and then he showed How many times has he done that? Over and over again, right? He tells us, and then he shows us. He told us, and then he showed us. He tells us, and then he shows us. Everything is going to be okay. But here, here's, the, here's the end game. The picture for us is this. You've got to stay faithful to God. Right, for it to be okay, you have to stay faithful. It's like the, um, the the times when they were in the boat and the the waters were 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 violently rushing in from the winds, and you were safer in the boat. Right, you wanted to be off of the sea, and I, you know the the apostles, but don't jump out of the boat. Same thing with the church, right? It's rocky and turbulent at times. Uh, our lives, but don't leave the church. Don't leave God. It's safer in the church, right? Remember when the Jews were, um, the Hebrews were led out into the wilderness, uh, going into the promised land because of their sin and things of that sort. God was in the wilderness, so as bad as it would have been for them, and as difficult as those 40 years were, it was safer in the wilderness with God. It's always safer with God than any other place. And in the end, as God tells us, at the end of this situation, at the end of this trial, at the end of this life, and during this life, you're in the hollow of God's hands. It's going to be okay. Got to remind ourselves every time that Jesus speaks this way, he's telling us it's going to be all right. Israel, well, here's an example that we should not follow. Verse 6, there are times when they got out of the boat, right? They left God. First Corinthians 10, verse 6. Now, these things happen as examples for us that we should not crave evil things as they also crave. Just don't do that, right? 
And do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us uh, act immorally, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happen to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. God says, I'm going to give you something. I want you to realize, and I want you to go back and take a look now, the difference between, look at the difference between the life of the faithful, though it was rocky and turbulent, and the lives of the unfaithful, though it was rocky and turbulent. And look at the outcome. There's a difference, right? It's a huge difference. And then chapter 11, in verse 1, Paul encourages us, as Jesus has encouraged us, to be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So, let's imitate Jesus. How do we do that, church? Um, Look at John 21. Even though this is a special, unique message to Peter, I want us to go and, and look at John 21, and I want us to gather or gain the understanding uh, and relate it to Christians in general, Right? How can we help each other? So Jesus is talking to Peter in verse 15. Uh, He says, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. Peter is not um, uh, an elder at this point. Jesus didn't say, wait until you become an elder to tend my lambs. I want you to take care of each other now, right? He wanted a group of men to take care of each other now, right? Because we all need each other. So we always lend a helping hand to each other. And what a gift, what an amazing blessing to tend, not the sheep, but tend to the babies, right? How do we say it? Uh, It takes a village to raise a child, right? Isn't that the same idea? Take care of the babies, Take care of each other. Then he goes on in verse 16. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. Right? Shepherd my sheep. Look out for each other. That's what a shepherd does, right? Look out for each other. Each one of us take this responsibility to look out for one another. And then he goes on to say again in verse uh, 17, he said to them a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my lambs, tend my sheep, tend my sheep, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, help each other, right? 15, 16, 17. Take care of each other. Everybody can take care of everybody. If everyone takes care of everyone, who's left out? Right? No one. That's the model of Jesus. And that's the understanding of it's all going to be okay. Right? Galatians 2 and, and verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. And so that passage has this indicator of a, uh, a past life uh, in, a, in a new life, right? So the old life, that old man is is, is not going to be there anymore because that old man has been crucified. And when the old man is crucified, that's the selfish man, right? Because when you're in the world and you don't have God, you have to take care of yourself. 
But when you're in Christ, we learn to take care of each other, right? So the old man is crucified. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live. That's important. I'm not living for myself any longer. I'm a child of God. God's taking care of me. We're taking care of each other. Everything's going to be all right, right? So, so it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Everything that I do, I do as Christ has taught me to do, right? I'm doing what Jesus has showed me. I'm doing what Jesus has done for the masses and what God is doing for us today. He's taking care of us every step of the way. And so now Christ, the reflection of Christ, if you will, the life that Christ lived, we're trying to exemplify or model, maybe, model that lifestyle. And so it's no longer my life that I'm living, but I'm living the life of Christ, right? The life that which I now live. I live in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me or died. for. He did it for me. And so it's worth it for God's children to be like Jesus, right? To, to be encouraging, to show kindness, to uh, have a sound relationship with, uh, with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. And then have a, a sound relationship with each other, right? Look, look back at John, John chapter 15. Have a good, solid relationship with each other. Jesus was a true friend, right? He was a, an incredible friend, right? You just, there's really no comparison, but he gave us a model. He gave us a model. He gave us an example of how to treat each other, right? To be, to be friends, right? And friends, you know, the, what is that commercial? Friends don't let friends drive drunk, right? Friends don't let friends hurt without hurting with them. You know, friends, friends are there for each other. That's what a friend is, right? And so to be like Jesus, Jesus has gone uh, many, you know, these 30 years on the earth, 33 years, and he's coming to the end of his life, and he's talking to the apostles who's been with him now for uh, just about three years now, uh, walking with him daily and, and striving with him. And how many days were they in hunger? We know there are examples of them being hungered, right? They were eating, picking the grain from the grain field and, and uh, you know, just eating along the way. Eat when you can. Eat what's there. And yet they stuck with, they stuck with the Lord. And in verse um, 12, this is my commandment that you should love one another just as I've loved you. That's a lot of love. How much love is that? How much, how much love? That you love one another as I have loved. He hadn't died yet. Right? He's still on the earth. So what did he do? Well, John 20 tells us that there are many things Jesus did that aren't written in this book. 21 tells us you couldn't contain all the stuff Jesus did that are written in his book. What did Jesus do to show this amazing amount of love? Love one another as I have loved you. How much does God love us? And then he says, I want you to love each other that much. How much is that? I know we say we use the word agape, but what does it mean? What does that mean? You know what it means? Set self aside. Set self aside and look out for the interest of others. Not merely our own interest. Philippians 2 tells us that. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others, right? 
set self aside and have this, this relationship with each other that is so unique and so awesome. When you go back in the history of the first century church and you learn how much they loved each other, it, 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 doesn't, make any, it doesn't make sense. It makes perfect sense to us. Love each other as I have loved you. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this. That one lay down his life for his friends. It doesn't say the world, does it? It says for his friends. It's talking about us, the church. I'm going to lay down my life for the church. For the people you know, through God's, you know, full knowledge, if you will, there'd be people that would be added to the church. And these special people would be friends of God. And the Father would love them in a unique way because they love the Son, whom they haven't even seen. And yet you love Him. And you follow Him. What are you doing here tonight? Go home. No, you love Jesus. <laughs> right? You want to look into His Word, and you want to fellowship, and you, Wow. A God whom you had never seen. You have never seen him, and yet you love him. God says, these are, these are special people. Verse, um, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And certainly that is, uh, that is the, the caption for the whole picture, speaking to the apostles, that certainly the ones that do the commands of God are considered friends of God. No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from the Father. I have made known to you. You do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. And you say, yeah, but he's, He's talking to the apostles. Well, actually, the vine, the branches, is talking to everybody, right? And then he starts narrowing it down to the disciples. And then he picks it back up with the disciples later in John 17 when he says, I'm not just praying for you guys. I'm praying for the whole church that it will exist until I return, right? And so there's this amazing relationship. I want to go to Matthew chapter uh, 12. Matthew chapter 12. The Father loves the people who love his son. I want to emphasize that uh, again, because that is a very powerful concept and idea, and one that should really uh, bring uh, an amazing amount of strength into uh, our hearts, and even conviction in this relationship with our God. Verse 47 is where I want to begin. Someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brother are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But he answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Right. Interesting question. And stretching out his hand toward the disciples, he said, Behold my mother and my brothers. Wow. Right. I mean, that's where we would, if we were there, if we were living in that time, we would have been those people, right? So when he's stretching his hands out to them, he's stretching his hands out to us. Right? Pretty exciting. And then he, and then he goes on, um, in, in verse, what is it, 40, 49, he says, stretching out his hand toward his disciples, behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. And then keep in mind what John says, oh, you, 
you know, yeah, blessed are you, Thomas, because you see me. You you can touch my hands. My you you're here, but blessed are they that see me not. That's us. This there's this amazing connection and encouragement in the scriptures for the people of God to stay true and consistent and to not give up the faith. Right? Look at John chapter fourteen. John fourteen. As a as a as again. And in this passage, I read it, I want to read it, I want to emphasize something. In verse 20 and 21, that the Father loves those who loves His Son. Verse 20, In that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and who he who loves me shall be loved by my Father. And I will love him, and will disclose myself, to him. There's this uniqueness. That's all I wanted to get. The King James Version in First uh, Peter 2 uh, verse 9 says you are a peculiar people. Right? You are a holy nation. Right? Y'all are different. Folks are different folks. It, it's that it's the understanding that when you are royalty which is what we are right? You know, when you're royalty in this world, you've got to learn how to do the wave and walk the walk, right? You're royalty. Right? You're, you're, you're not just special. When, you know, it's kind of funny when people ask the question, and we're not, we, we're not arrogant, so we are very hesitant in answering the question and very cautious, and they say, you just think you're better than me. And, and, we, don't, and we don't want anyone to think that we think we're better than them, but God would say, oh, actually they are. They're my children. They're my people. They're royalty. Pretty exciting. Right? I'm so excited to be a child of God. And not just a, not a fair, he wasn't a farewell friend. He's a friend, right? That sticks closer than a brother. That's in Proverbs, I think, 18. In verse um, 24, he was genuine. Um, and, and, and certainly the Bible makes it clear that a genuine brother is uh, or, or should I say in Christ, a brother, a friend is and will stick closer than a brother. God was genuine. How important is it to you to know, to remember that God has never, ever lied to you? How important is that? Right? It never cheated you. It never, ever lied to you. He's never misled in any way. Just open and honest, always, at all times. He's never lying. How important is that to you? John uh, chapter 8. Jesus, as a man, was was tempted. He was tempted to lie, wasn't he? I mean, he had every opportunity to lie, right? He could have lied his way out of the crucifixion. He could have lied his, his way out of the trial. When they came to get him and they said, uh, we're looking for Jesus, and, and he didn't say, oh, yeah, well, he's over there. He said, here, I'm he. <laughs> I, I am the one. And, and he, never, he never tried to find a loophole. He's just honest. And we're going to look at that in just, in just a moment. Um, but I want you to think about John 8, verse 36. If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are the offsprings of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. 
I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. And then he goes into this, this separation between the people who are listening to Jesus, us, and the people who are not. Verse 44, these folks were not Abraham's true offspring in a spiritual sense, only in a physical sense. But it was important to be Abraham's offspring in a spiritual sense. And so verse 44, he says, You are of your father the devil, uh, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own nature, for he's a liar and the father of lies. How important is it to you that Jesus never lied to you? Satan always lies to us. Right? Satan always lies to us. Every day, he's a liar every day. Every day, he's lying to us in temptation. Every single day. He's just no good. But Jesus has never, ever, ever lied to us. In John uh, 17, in verse 17, uh, the Bible says, Sanctify them in truth, for thy, thy word is truth. God is always honest. He's always truthful in all things, at all times. We can rely on him. We can trust in him. And you know what he said to us? Church, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to give you peace. But not like the world gives. I'm going to give you a different kind of peace. It's going to be okay. Turn back to Mark chapter 10, please. Well, when you think about truth, sometimes the truth Sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? You know, so now the question is, how do we handle the truth, right? Isn't that, God's word is not full of, you know, beautiful flowers and, and, you know. Sometimes it's a beautiful word, but sometimes that truth comes out and says, Tony, uh, you've just messed up and you need to repent because you've sinned, right? And your sins will find you out. So the, the rich young ruler... Mark 10, in this account, here's the question. Here's the question. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him. I want you to realize the enthusiasm the rich young ruler has. This is a godly, this man is a religious man, to use the term properly. He's a religious, you know, you read that in the Bible, religious people aren't necessarily Christians or godly people, right? They're religious, but that's not the same word that God would use for a Christian. This man was a religious man. He was excited to see Jesus. He ran up to Jesus, and he knelt down before him to to pay him homage or honor. And the the text says he began um, asking him, good teacher. He praised God. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And you say, wow, that's, that's the question, right? And from a human, you know, judgment, we would step back and say, well, you know, your attitude, you're, you're already going to get there, right? But Jesus doesn't look at the outward appearance, does he? Jesus looks deep inside of the heart. What's in here 
preacher. You can you can put on a. I let my wife dress me. You all know that. <laughs> put on her clothing. She puts out for you and all that good stuff. But that doesn't really matter because what Jesus is concerned about is not the exterior. He wants to know what's in here. So from an outward perspective, this man is a religious man. We would sit, we would follow his example and say, let's be like him. But no, Jesus says no. No, he's got another issue. His issue isn't the issue of everyone around them. This is just his issue. So we all have our own little stuff, right? Whatever it is, that stuff we're wrestling with up here. Everybody's different. And, and some of us share the same stuff. But we all got some stuff up here that we're working on. His stuff was, he was a lover of money, wasn't he? So he asked the question, and I want you to see the justification. And this is why it's so important. We're looking at Jesus telling the truth. So Jesus says in verse 18, Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Now listen to how religious he This man was a, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not uh, defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, <laughs> I've done all that. I've kept that since my youth. I mean, I am, I'm it. I, I have focused my energy on living for you, God. So he says in verse 20, and he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. He's kept the commandments. He, he's a man that we would, we would consider uh, a, a good man. He's, he's, he's followed the commandments. But that wasn't the question, was it? The question wasn't, it wasn't these, these five have nothing to do with him. That's not what he's struggling with. Okay? And so in our relationship to Christ, there are some things that I don't struggle with. And there are some things that you don't struggle with. But then there are a lot of things that I do struggle with that maybe you don't struggle with, but these are mine. I don't like to take ownership of them. I like to kick them away. But I, sometimes I just seem to go back and pick them up. It's, those are my weaknesses, right? We all have our own stuff. And then what does 1 John 1 say? Anyone who says they don't is a liar, right? The truth's not in us. Because we're walking for Jesus, but we're messing up along the way, trying not to every day, trying to get rid of that stuff. We're trying to do the Hebrews 12 passage where we're, we're um, setting aside the sin that so easily entangles us. We're trying to get rid of that stuff. He focused on, on good things, but that wasn't the question that he asked. The question that he asked is found, again, in verse 17. And as he was sitting out, uh, setting out on the journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So first Jesus builds him up and says, you know, um, in essence, because Jesus knows he's done all these things. So Jesus gives him a pat on the back. You're doing good. You've done some really good things. But, brother, we know it's not our works that's going to get us there, right? But keep doing what you're doing. Keep that stuff going. You know, don't stop doing those things that you are doing. But since you just justified yourself by saying, ah, I'm a shoe in I got, this, I got this thing down, Lord. I've kept these commandments without fault. He didn't say that, but, you know, pretty excited. I've kept these from my youth up. And Jesus says, well, let's talk about the issue of your heart. 
Well, what is that, Jesus? You know the, the account. Verse 21. And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. Does that mean Jesus said, you know, you're right. You've really done a good job with that. You've done pretty good. But not good, because he already said, don't call no man good, right? Yeah. So we get, I get caught up sometimes. Like, oh, he's a pretty good guy. No, no, Jesus says, no, no one's good. Okay, never mind. Put it back into perspective. Oh, he's, he's what we are. A man wrestling with struggles in the heart. And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But at these words, his face fell, and he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter into the kingdom of God. How hard it's going to be for people that struggle with their stuff. Can't give it up to enter in. It's difficult, right? He didn't say the man couldn't go to heaven. He didn't say that. Right? Wasn't a sin to have money. Was the problem was his brain was he didn't trust in God. He trusted in his riches. That's the context, isn't it? And in verse twenty four, the disciples were amazed at those words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And looking upon them, Jesus said, With all the stuff you're wrestling with, preacher, (laughs) He can't make it in. But with God, it's going to be all right. Isn't that great? Listen to what he said. Listen to the verse. Verse, uh, what verse are we at? <laughs> verse 27. With men, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. That means with God, you keep working at it, and you'll be like that camel going through the eye of a needle. Right? That's a mere impossibility, isn't it? Whatever that really actually means, right? Wow. So, so here we're, we're, we have this, this confidence in God. God has, has promised to, to never leave us and to never forsake us. And he's promised us this, the blessing of life and peace. And he's going to help us to make it. And it's impossible without him staying in the boat because there's safety in the boat. And God is honest. And he says, if you stay with me until the end. Gonna be all right, right? What a what a comforter! I think I, I spoke of this. Uh, let's go ahead and go to Hebrews twelve. I mentioned it, but let's go look at it. Hebrews twelve. I love I love Hebrews twelve. We were talking about this um, at one point in the office that we were talking about these heroes of faith. Right? <laughs> she laughs. The heroes of faith weren't always faithful, were they? They were acts of faithfulness. Right? There was this one or two or three or whatever. There was this, these, these people who were struggling, trying to get rid of their stuff, 
and deal with their stuff. And that they, they had acts of faithfulness. This guy did it faithfully. Gideon was, Gideon was faithful, not all of his life, but there was this act of faithfulness. And Moses, and you go down the list and you realize that these were folks that weren't perfect, but they had or demonstrated acts of faithfulness. And they were faithful people, but there were these specific and unique acts of faithfulness that makes them a hero of faith. So in our walk of, of, of life, sometimes we, we're demonstrating some amazing acts of faithfulness. When people say, you know, you, the way you handled that was so amazing. Thank you for that. It's an act of faithfulness. You've encouraged someone by the way that you've lived your life. You chose in this moment God over self. But then tomorrow's another, another day. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe tomorrow I might choose myself over God, and then I repent. And you know, but there are these acts of faithfulness. And so, in this arena, in Hebrews twelve, um, since we have this great crowd of witnesses, this cloud of witnesses of these these men, and weren't perfect. It's impossible with men, but with God, all things are possible. They weren't perfect people. But there were some moments in their lives that God said, that's a good job. That's us, right? None of us are perfect. But there are these moments in our lives we do demonstrate these acts of faithfulness to God. And in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside the encumbrance of sin, which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You ever, you ever said, why am, I, why am I still struggling with that? Well, because it easily entangles us. That's just your stuff. <laughs> right? That, that's the thing that I, I just don't seem to give over to God. I don't know. I, I give it to God and I take it back. I give it to God and I take it back. It, and it easily does that. Look, don't, we're not supposed to beat ourselves up. Just keep working at it, right? All the way to the end, and what was the message of the theme of the night? Everything's going to be okay. Keep working at it till the end. Don't stop. Last verse, because our time is up. Um, verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's how you're going to overcome, right? Instead of looking at self, you keep looking at self. Luke nine sixty two. no one uh, is worthy of heaven. You keep reaching back to the plot. You can't look to yourself. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. That's what you have to do, right? And that's what's going to keep us going. That's what keeps us marching. You look to self, you're going to stay in the mud. You look to Jesus, you're going to get up, right? Keep looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter or finisher of the faith, who set before us the joy, endured the cross. He endured the cross, right, that was set before him. How did he move from that Garden of Gethsemane to joy? Because he didn't stay in the mire. He didn't wallow in the mud. He looked to the Father, and he got up. And then he carried his cross. And he did what he came for. So, in our life with Christ, remember, don't wallow. Self-pity, don't wallow. You can have your pity party for a little while, but eventually, you need to get up. Right? Repent and let God take over your life again. So, what a beautiful blessing to have God. It was so encouraging. Tonight, I thank you for your time and, and you blessing me. And uh, if you are struggling and we can help you in any way, we're going to have an invitation song in a few moments and a devotional. You can make that known if you're online and you would like to communicate with us, please do so. Uh, we will be there for each other, right? I love to, to say to pray with you and to pray for you, right? Pray with you, meaning you should pray too. 
all pray together, right? You don't you love it when someone comes forward and they're giving their life to Jesus? And I know the uh, elders come up and pray for that individual. We ought to pray for them too, shouldn't we? Right in that very moment. God bless you, and thank you for your time tonight. Evening, family. Tonight we're going to be singing from the Spiral Books. Our first song tonight will be 1082. 1082. 